1: And we have this, this morning a regular guest, a colleague of mine, journalist and, and, and analyst Gabriel Krauser. Gabriel, good morning.
0: Good morning, Sarah. How's it?
1: Good. Hey. Thank you. But I want to discuss the uh, uh, nasty topic of racism. That's today's uh, conundrum. Mm. I'm going to make the following statement. Our research, our IRR's research, has shown that racism or the effects of racism is considered virtually the least of South Africa's problems. That when we ask uh, people what are the issues facing them that are, that are most pressing in their lives, usually of have 12 or 14 possibilities that they that they present. Racism is usually at, right at the bottom as an issue. However, the, the chattering classes and the politicians would suggest that racism is what is about to destroy South Africa. But it's, it's worse than that. Um, racism is now becoming what other... I, I would argue that racism is what is be, what is becoming what people accuse other people of racism. So, in other words, those making the accusations are actually the racists. But because they often have significant positions in society, their accusations become law. They are, hmm. they are the facts.
0: Yeah, so I think something like that is true. And I don't think we should be... Entirely surprised that there is a, a huge disconnection between what, uh, people in the sort of media elite, uh, think is most important versus what ordinary South Africans think is most important. I mean, if you, if you imagine, we haven't done such a poll, but if you imagine doing a poll of the most popular people on Twitter, uh, or people who use Twitter the most and you say, well, you know, how important is it to you that you get more likes on Twitter? You know, that most most of them would say, no, this is extremely important. This is a big issue. I need more people to like me on Twitter. Uh, but if you polled 58 million South Africans about how important it is for them to get more likes on Twitter, most of them would say, I don't have it. I don't care. What are you talking about? Uh, you know, so there just is people, people care about, uh, I guess, the lives that they've made for themselves. And people who've made race merchants, who've made a living out of uh, accusing people of racism, uh, obviously needed to be seen as a number one issue, and people who don't have a job, well, their number one issue is getting a job.
1: Well, certainly, uh, in the the five years' odd we've been doing these annual surveys, uh, unemployment is always, always at the top, and land reform and racism is always, always at the bottom. Mm. But can I ask you to recall... a, an incident you've had recently in a, in a television debate, um, no names, no pactyl, but where exactly the fact that we were arguing against BEE as it exists and arguing for something entirely different that does not use race as a criterion got a response that probably illustrates the point uh, I, I've been making.
0: Right. So, I mean, just to give some context, uh, the week before last, building up to Human Rights Day, was Anti-Racism Week, and this is uh, run by the Anti-Racism Network, and they're sort of run by the Nelson Mandela Foundation. And it's been going for a while, for a few years, but this year they finally got some traction, and so we were invited onto half a dozen sort of national radio and television um, uh, uh, debates, and they were all like an hour long. So it is, it, it is a nice opportunity actually to get into the meat of it. Uh one of the politicians, the, the the sort of only person who's run for parliament who's involved in one of these debates, started out by saying, Look, I figured out the problem, guys. Human rights are racist. So once you realize that the reason South Africa doesn't work is because we still have human rights, uh, then you'll realize the problem is that we need to get rid of human rights. Uh and then and then black people will just do very, very well. This was this was an actual uh <laughs> argument being made. Uh, okay. And when I when I try to counter that argument, I was called a racist. Um, in another uh, TV debate, the the thing that I started out by saying, you know, there's there's a few reasons to counter BE, and I think if someone wants to get into the meat of it, uh, you should the, the really detailed technical side of it. Uh, Anthea Jeffrey, our our esteemed colleague, Dr. Anthea Jeffrey's book, BEE, Helping or Hurting, is is really a, a great place to go, and and I've I've read it. A, twice now in the last year to, to to try and come up to speed with the, the details of the law. But uh, just generally speaking, I think there are a couple of arguments against BE. One of them is that you really shouldn't be having a government that's classifying people by race and then sort of saying some people should get some opportunities and others uh, don't qualify. Uh, as a sort of moral case for non-racialism. Now, I think the moral case is important, but it's difficult to persuade people uh, of the, those kinds of moral views because morality is in itself like quite a hard thing to get a grip on. So the second argument, and this is the one that I think the Institute makes the most often, is that it's not practical. That if you really want to um, grow South Africa's economy, decrease unemployment, I mean, most people my age and younger don't have a job. In the last two years, more than a million uh, 18-year-old and 19-year-old South Africans have uh, failed to pass matric with the uh, Even basic mathematics and, and in a 21st century economy, that makes it very difficult for them to, uh, get into the workforce. Um, and, you know, we've got uh, all kinds of problems beyond that procurement corruption. Uh, so you just say, you know, if you really want the best outcomes for people's lives, uh, then we should uh, adopt a different system. And, and that's an important argument. Um, but there's this third argument, which I've been trying out, uh, which is to say, Here's something that you don't know. Uh, it's that Stats SA has been tracking income by race and has found that there are major shifts in South Africa that have taken place in the last 30, 40 years. So uh, in the 80s, white South Africans were earning a supermajority of income. Uh, it was a small minority that really was earning most of the money. By the ni- by By 2006... White people were earning 50% of income, according to Stats SA. By 2015, that had come down to 34%, and black South Africans were earning 66% of income. So that's a supermajority. But drill further into that, and you find that the highest inequality is actually within races, and it's within the black race in particular, which is the only race where the top 10% earn the majority of income within that race, Uh, So there's the highest inequality there. And overall, the top 10% of black South Africans earn 25% of national income versus the top 10% of white South Africans earn 10% of national income. And if you go black by the BEE definition, the top 10% of black people earn 33% of income, which is more basically than all white people combined. So... Uh, you don't know. I, I think most people don't know that because it's on page 196 of Stats Essays inequality reports, <laughs> and uh, and and that report was covered on S, on all of the major TV channels, on every radio station, on uh, all of the major newspapers. But no one made it to page 196. So. So people don't know that. But on the other hand, they do know that. And this is my claim. All ordinary South Africans do know that. No South African is surprised to see a black woman driving a fancy car. No South African is surprised when they go to one of the elite uh, sort of parts of, of Johannesburg to find a fancy restaurant with, with the black clientele. Uh, no South African is surprised to walk into a boardroom and see a black executive. Uh, and, you know, when I go to uh, fancy private high schools, uh, to, to visit and do research I find that, you know, at, the, at South Africa's most expensive uh, Boarding school uh, More than half of the students are black uh, And most mm. and they're, they're, I'm talking about fee-paying students Not scholarship mm. mm. So, so, so that's, a, that's a reality And it's a small-town reality too You know, in Schweizer Reineke, there's two churches And the one has got white buckies and white farmers And the other one's got German sports cars And white buckies and, and black elites um, and that's just that's just not surprising. It's not surprising in Newcastle to see white beggars on the side of the road being driven past by by uh, by black people in, in in fancy vehicles. So this, I think, is an impossible point for BEE proponents to grapple with, because the rationale for BEE is that in its absence, there – whole economy is is being run by white people and and they're all racists and and they'll never do business with black people so there'll be no way for black people to buy or sell or or make any money and and that rationale just doesn't work from the start when you realize we've come to the point where literally the preponderance of wealth in the in the elite sphere where 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 you you know you're not just living hand to mouth the preponderance of wealth is not sitting in white hands and mm. the and the most fabulous thing about this point, right, is that BEE proponents, to argue against it, would have to say, no, BEE hasn't worked at all. No black people have made any money in the last 15 mm. years through BEE, but that's why we need it. And and that's just illogical and, and obviously weird on its face. And so instead, the pushback that I got was to say that this argument is racist and uh, terrible and 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 the and my favorite irony about that was that on this on this live broadcast TV thing they they then asked uh, their viewers to send in some questions and the two both the questions uh were from black people and they both said basically uh, you're talking rubbish be is only working for the few it's not working for most people and it needs to be scrapped uh and so 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 i think i think that's important because this allegation of racism you started out by saying uh you know it just doesn't mean what it used to mean Mm. and and even five years ago if i was called a racist on live television on national tv um i think i think my response and the response of the audience and the response of the host would have been different the host would have had to say look gabriel this guy's calling you a racist there's no worse fate you could suffer in this country you know what what do you have to say for um (laughs) But in this case, he's just like, well, let's go to the WhatsApp groups. Okay, Tabu from Soweto says, BE is really terrible. It's only helping a small elite, and and we've got to get rid of it so that we can grow the economy." Uh, you know, you 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 don't even really have to confront it head-on because mm-hmm. no one takes it seriously, including the people using the term. They the, they they have no way to back it up. Yeah.
1: Well, what this uh, what this suggests? I mean, it's it's actually quite extraordinary. But I. I would suggest that it raises a couple of really um, interesting issues. The first is that those the elites, and by elites I mean people who, in good jobs, have houses, have cars, etc. Not necessarily the ultra the ultra wealthy, really have no sense of what's going on, on in on the gr- on <coughs> going on on the ground. Either that or they, it, they choose to ignore it for for for, the, for their own reasons. The other thing is that the persistence in a racially based system for advancing people um, is, is really pathet- rather pathetically absurd in a country that is vastly majority black and is sh- increasingly minority white. And even within the whites, if you think about it, you're looking at the, the, the competition for jobs is going to be amongst youngish people and, and the numbers amongst the whites are very small. So we, we, there's no way the whites can provide the skills needed. Mm. Um, and perhaps this also show, speaks to a sort of an inferiority complex because unlike America or England where where black citizens are very much in the minority, this is the other way around. It no longer makes sense to put the person earning 300 rand a month in the same position as, say, one of Suroma Pose's children.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, to speak to that inferiority complex, I think another argument against BEE is the one that Terra Lakota made, the the MP, uh, the head of the COPE party. And he said, look, here I am. I'm a member of parliament. I've got like a seven-figure salary. I can send my kids to the best schools. I can give them tutors if they need a bit of extra help. I can send them to good universities. How could I, as a parent, have any honor and describe my Mm. own child as previously disadvantaged? Mm. My kid, I'm giving my kid every opportunity because I'm a parent and I love my kid and mm. I've got the income to do it. And mm. I've got the political connections to, you know, to help them out. And yet, as he said, like the, the majority of our parliament are, yeah. everyone in parliament sits in the same position as Lakota, but mm. they don't have, they, they, they're literally legislating their own children to be described as previously disadvantaged. Uh, you know, and that's from Ramaphosa's kids through to, you know, Malema's kids. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's very hard to square that behavior with, um, with, with good conscience, with a sense mm-hmm. of self-respect. And, and yeah, how does one, how do how does one explain it? Maybe people just don't think about it. Maybe they do think about it and they actually believe that their children um, you know, maybe they don't don't have faith in their kids to be able to compete mm. in a marketplace, even though they've grown up with a silver spoon in their mouth and every educational opportunity and, and, and networking opportunity there can be. Or, and I think this is the most likely, they actually are ashamed privately to be classifying their children as previously disadvantaged. Mm. And I do get the sense, because I went to school with Ramaphosa's kids, and, and many, many, you know, most of the uh, kids in my boarding house were at this private school, were, were few-paying parents who were black. Uh, they didn't uh, like the idea at all of being classified as previously disadvantaged, but they thought it's politically awkward to to admit this in public, because doing so... Would put a question mark behind the cornerstone policy of the ANC, and like Ramaphosa said, you know B is here to stay. And if you start uh, questioning it, you start questioning the ANC's basic uh, raison d'être. So, so it's just it's politically difficult for them to do, and so they make the sacrifice of of this shameful sacrifice of qualifying their own children as previously disadvantaged um, mm. in order to in order to keep power. And I think that that is the, it's, it's that kind of bait and switch game where you say, look, mm. there's lots of poor black people, therefore we need to redirect money to black people and, and don't pay attention to where it's really going. Don't pay attention mm. to the fact that it's really going to a lot of already rich black people and mm. white people, by the way, who've done some white, mm. people have done very nicely by BE and the, and the sort of tenderpreneurial opportunities that it's afforded. Uh, mm. so, the, the it, i think most south africans aren't convinced by that th- mm. which is what we see in our polling which is what you see in the q and a in the in the public uh, call-ins to the radio stations and to the tv and uh and so then the question is well why is it still policy it's still policy because most south africans that don't like it seem to not vote and those that do vote a majority are, you know in the 2019 election were we convinced that Ramaphosa was the guy, and never mind the policy details, um, and the opposition was a bit weak, didn't really offer a good alternative. I mean, the the DA, for example, in the 2019 election uh, was not a serious critic of BE. It didn't mm-hmm. have an alternative at the time. That has changed subsequently. Mm-hmm. But in the 2019 election... The only party that I could find that was, uh, already in parliament and that was seriously critiquing BEE was COPE, uh, under mm. Terry Porter. And they, you know, for other reasons to do with organizational incapacity, uh, uh, couldn't muster very much support. So South Africans who didn't like BEE, who think that it's a game being played by a kind of elite, um, that's not really benefiting the country, they had no option in the last mm. election. And, and, and we must remember that fact, uh, if we're going to explain the disconnect between the upper crust, uh, fixation on race and commitment to BEE and, 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 uh, deliberate ignorance about the distribution of wealth, particularly within the black group in the country and the lived experience of ordinary South Africans who flip and fed up. Um, mm. and, and and want an alternative but didn't have uh, any real route to express that politically.
1: Uh, Gabriel, hang on, if you will, through our next ad break um, because I'd like to pick up on a, a related but slightly different topic. Gabriel, I want to go on to the sort of broader international crisis of wokeness and exactly the point of... The racists are calling the non-racists racists, and the particular example that comes close to home is the situation that a uh, Professor Adam Habib has found himself in at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. Now, uh, Professor Habib was the Vice Chancellor of, Uni- of the University of the Witwatersrand, and and probably more successfully steered fits through the Fees Must fall period than, or, than any other university in South Africa. At one of his first lectures, because he was only started work at the beginning of the year, um, some student, and I can't help thinking of this as a setup, asked, said that, you know, problems of people using the N word at the school and uh, what, what would the school do, uh, what would he do if he heard it. So what Habib said was that if anyone used the word and he used the word, all six letters of the word they would face serious disciplinary action the the mere utterance of the word as if it is some bolt from the blue to destroy society has resulted in habib probably losing his job because the unions that represent the staff and of of, of the university both support and and um and and academic as well as Student unions at the university have described him in the most Awful terms. For example, Adam Habib's bellicose rationalization of using such a word against a black student is especially vicious. We are, we are astonished, shocked, and disgusted to witness such a callous attack on screen committed by a grown man who has in his own lifetime seen how pervasively colonialism, imperialism, and racism has etched itself on the lives of South Africans. And, of course, they uttered the fact that his his subsequent apology was insufficient. It never is. Your take on this uh, moment of madness that is, starting, that is very reflective in, in parts of American and, and uh, English society.
0: Yeah. So one point is just technically linguistic. Uh, and the University of Soas as students and staff, would be the first to tell you in any other context that there's a difference between a speech act, which is sort of where you use a word to change the world, and uh, using a word just to describe the world. And, and, the, and the case in the paradigm, the example is a promise or a vow. If I say she promised to him uh, that they're going to get married or whatever, uh, then I'm not making a promise. If someone says, hey, but you use the word promise, therefore you're making a promise, we'd all say, you're crazy. <laughs> if I say, Sarah, I promise to you that I'll meet you on Friday at 4 o'clock, I'm changing the world, I'm making a commitment. And if I don't show up, then you can say I broke my word, I've done a bad thing. But not mm. just if I use the word promise, it's only if I make a promise. So there's a difference between using a racial slur to offend someone and uh, just describing the world to say, look, if someone uses the slur, then they should be punished. And that's all he did. So this is mm. a basic linguistic con- uh, distinction, which, which philosophers, you know, they explain common sense in fancy language. But this is common sense. You don't need mm. a philosophy degree to understand the difference. Um, apparently, if you get a philosophy degree, then you forget the difference when it suits you. Uh, which is one thing going on
1: here, uh,
0: which is super irritating. Another thing that's going on is like, you know, I must say, I'm not a huge fan of just bandying, uh, nasty words around, even if it is descriptive, which is why I'm not using it here. But I, it's, it's, it, it, it's not, it's not a morally wrong thing to do. And insofar as one should avoid it, that avoidance rule should apply to everyone. You know, here's a good rule no one, no matter what their race is, should insult anyone else. Uh, according to uh, their race. That's not the rule that they're applying at SOAS. Explicitly, the students said, and the rationale of the staff and of the students who are voting to get Adam Habib removed, is if only he were a bit darker, then it would have mm. been totally fine. But because he doesn't have enough melanin in his skin, it's not fine. And mm-hmm. this is important because um, I take seriously the thought that It's useful to think of races as social constructs. Like, obviously, biologically, Mm. we kind of inherit the color of our eyes and our skin and the shape of our nose and all of that. But that alone is not what makes uh, prejudice and all that kind of stuff uh, happen. What makes it happen, one of the key facts of how the social construct theory works, is that there are different codes of conduct. The thought being, you know, white people should act like this. Black people should act like that. Indians should act like this. Colors mm. should act like that. That was the fundamental, uh, keystone of apartheid philosophy. That was the keystone of, of Jim mm. Crow, uh, exactly. legislation in the United States. That was uh, also exactly how the Nazis thought. You know, the people should act according to type, uh, and live according to type, you know, geographically and so on and so forth. Now, that's a very bad idea, but that's explicitly, I- explicitly the idea that as is going on. They're saying, if you have you are a darker then you can totally say the word and you can say it in a nasty way you can say it in a rap song you can say it to your someone who's behaving badly which goes against american law by the way there was there was a nice case about a decade ago in new york state where a black person was sued for calling another black person the n-word and they were saying you're being a lazy n-word um and and the court said dude i don't care what color skin you are you can't say that now i think that's mm. smart that's exactly right uh because it's non-racial, it's saying the rule applies to everyone regardless of their race. You can't deride someone in this way. That's a good rule. The bad rule is no. Look, if you have blue eyes, then you must listen to Mozart, and you can say I don't know nasty thing about Goyim, and, and I don't know what you can say. <laughs> if you've got, maybe you can't say anything. Maybe if you've got can blue you eyes, suggest- just shut up. Um, but if you but if you've got dark skin. Uh, then you can definitely say N-word and you can say it as much as you like, however you like. And, 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 and really what they're doing is they, they are doing their damnedest to entrench the codification of race to say, yeah. depending on how you look, this is how you should act. And I'm surprised. I would have thought that Adam Habib's struggle credentials, his ability, to rein in the worst elements of fallism at witz at the same time as showing respect and kind of building a bridge that mm. that could allow some of those students to come across uh, to back to reason, I thought that that would have made him impossible to depose because he's just so well-respected in very mm. left-wing circles. I was wrong. Um, Gabriel, that is
1: more- Gabriel, I'm going to have to stop you there because unfortunately we've come to the end of our time. And perhaps just put you a comment I saw on Twitter which was, so, no, so is film sock showing blazing saddles then?
0: Yeah, um, what a great name. <laughs> Sarah, we have, to, we have to put that We, we have, have to, do to that put festival. that first Yeah.
1: Okay, thank you so much for uh, being on the show, and uh, I'll speak to you about the Politically Incorrect Film Festival. Thanks.
0: Good. Thank you, Sarah.